My name is Desiree Rees. I um, studied psychology and communications and I am a personal coach. Where do we start educating people so that they can better articulate their emotions? Because if we don't know where our pressure is coming from, we don't know how to deal with it. And then we feel overwhelmed and that's where the depressive cycle and anxiety starts. And your body takes that information and it starts working with it. And very often what happens is when our brain can't verbalize something, uh, we will then term it as a gut feel. And you know, Luke, that human connection, that is the biggest way to combat depression and anxiety. So why are we not having these adult conversations with people and going, I'd love to help you, but that behavior is just not okay here. You know, because in our profession, that leads to suicide. There's Reese. Yes. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Oh, good. And thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. And for, I know you're going to bring some value into the space, but I also want to get to know why you do what you do mm. and maybe share with Durban what you do do. Mm. So maybe you could spend a couple of minutes just introdu introducing yourself. Yeah. Perfect. And you can go from there. Yeah, thanks, Luke. And thanks cool. for the opportunity to come and share. Absolutely. It's actually just amazing to see your passion for Durban and particularly Durban business. And I think that's what excited me about coming and sharing with you today is just knowing that there's someone out there who's speaking into a space. I think we can become quite patriotic about our country. And then if you live in KZN, Durban, you do become patriotic patriotic about the businesses that are surviving and living um, so I love it that you're creating a space for people cool. to do that so thanks it's a pleasure yeah. thank you so my name is Desiree Reese. I um, studied psychology and communications and I am a personal coach um, the company that I have Human Co is um, is a way it basically addresses the high suicide rate in the veterinary profession which is an international phenomenon it's not just specific to South Africa um, but it's providing a safe space for where professionals can learn, grow and be empowered towards preventative self-care. So we're wanting to, you know, the whole thing of Dr. Heal Thyself. Mm -hmm. It's creating a space that they can um, uh, learn the skills that they need to look after themselves better while they are under high stress situations. Okay, so mm. you, I'm just going to slow you down mm. a little there. Yes. You have a business called Human Co. Yes. And you specifically cater for and service the veterinary industry. Yes. So um, it is focused predominantly into the veterinary profession because that's funny enough where I found myself being. Okay. So having a passion for human beings and people development uh, and then found myself being married. I used to be married to a vet and it was in that absorption of that industry and being at the university while he was doing his residency, owning a practice back in KZN and realizing that there was such a skills deficiency within mm. the profession. And be, with my background being people development, uh, the challenge was put out to me, we'll do something about it. Okay. So I took up the challenge well and said, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So it started 12 years ago, the consultancy part, which I was doing part-time whilst raising children, whilst owning, um, we had some vet me retail outlets at the same time. And it was just a way to kind of bridge the gap that we that I was seeing. And so I would do, um, you know, CPD events and congresses. And then eventually the university said, won't you come in and, and lecture some of the undergraduates? And then it started getting a bit wider and practices were needing some help. And so um, I go into that practices as well and help them out. So it's been really, it's been an interesting morph because 
currently I think I'm the only person in South Africa who does this, who has a specific okay. um, focus on the veterinary practices. There are people out there doing amazing things, um, but I think it's just the background that I have from being so absorbed in the profession um, and bringing what I understand and know that has created value for those practices and those individuals. So, um, and then, yeah, two years ago, uh, we decided, well, actually, so actually I was approached by a veterinary group. So it's it's a very unique system. It's not one of the corporate systems that are out in, in, in South Africa at the moment. But they partner with practices and they take over the responsibilities of practices that vets really don't enjoy. So it's the HR, it's the business side, it's the marketing mm -hmm. side. And so they allow vets to be vets. Um, and partner with them, but they still keep their individuality, they still keep their autonomy. And they said to me, we would love for you, uh, we would love for our doctors and our nurses to have full access to you. And so I said, wonderful. So it enabled me to go full time in what I do. And then I still able to support and provide services for the university and to my independent practices. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So how long have you been um, not practicing, but running as human co, because that's fairly recent, Yes, right? that is. So this will be our second year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I was fortunate I got to hear a little bit of your story yes. in another podcast that we've been producing, but you mentioned that you were quite involved and just happened to find yourself in the university mm. space for, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that pro that probably links up with what you're doing Yes, so now. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so being married to a vet um, who decided he was going to do a residency in medicine, um, we had to move up to Ornestaput because it's the only university in South to Africa. Ornestaput. Ornestaput. <laughs> yeah, I leave my Durban accent out of it. Very, yeah, very English. Ornestaput. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds yeah. like it should be like a... A sherry, it a should, type of yeah, sherry. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's very anyway. far away from okay. that, though. <laughs> so it's a, a faculty of the University of Pretoria, and they're based, like, on the plata, like, in the... In the uh, Pretoria is sort of outskirts up north, northeast, and uh, a beautiful faculty, um, turning out some incredible doctors and, and nurses. Um, and I mean, South Africa has a veterinary profession that is high sought after. We have other countries okay. wanting our doctors and nurses. So we actually have a skill shortage in South Africa when it comes to vets and nurses because they are being pulled. Once they leave the university, I think we had two thirds of our. Um, of the 2022 class actually immigrating. So it's a bit of a, wow, a problem. Wow, that's crazy. Hey? It's a problem, yeah. But it does show you the level of, of mm. what we're turning out in South Africa. I believe a lot of our medical training mm. and educated medical doctors mm. and even paramedics are all highly sought after. Yeah. I, I don't know how true it is, but I've... I've heard numerous times. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if it's not the work ethic of a South African that makes the yeah. significant difference. Just you know, work hard <laughs> yeah. and make a plan. <laughs> it's all about you know attitude, actually. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean. The residency, we went up and the only way I was actually able to see my husband was I had to then hang out at the university. <laughs> so uh, what I learned was that if you make a carrot cake and you take it to Artie's, which is where the, the outpatients for the university hospital is, then the students love you and um, and so it will be well with you <laughs> if you feed doctors and nurses. So That's that was awesome. my trick. Yeah, I used to go That's and hang amazing. out with them and walk the halls of the university, get to feel and see what the students were going through 
get to see where the base, the foundation is for what the doctors and nurses were experiencing. And then from there, you know, moving into private practice, into a specialist practice, seeing the pressure on the team, seeing the, the level of clients coming through into the practice as well, because obviously our, the clients are very energized, they're very stressed, they're full of anxiety. And so, so that... So the clients being the humans that the bring humans, their pets. Yes, yes, okay, yeah. Okay. And so the owners, so um, that has a significant, con- you know, contributor to, that's contributes to the stress level of mm. doctors and nurses and then their patients as well. So seeing that, you know, that human-animal bond and what that looks like on that level. That's very interesting. Mm. So you you started seeing a lack of something in that space or yeah. was it something out of out of place or what did you start so recognizing? It started, you know, it started, a lot of conversations was listening to the professors and the lecturers in in the university talking about what they were, were feeling and seeing within their students. And then it was only when we stepped into actually owning a practice. And now you start interviewing staff. Okay. And you start asking questions. And because of my background, I want to delve a little deeper. I want to see mm. how are they going to represent our business to our clients. Um, it's not just about patient care, but it's also about engaging with the human beings who are attached to that pet. Yes. And they're the ones who often pay the bills. Well, they are the well, ones who pay the, the bills. They are the ones who pay the bills. <laughs> you know, um, unless there's someone at home who's paying it. But it's And so it's making sure that they understand what's going on with their pet to the degree that they're confident that the value and the pricing of that patient care is worth it. And so it's, and then it's going, and then also it's the interaction between teams. You know, um, you work 80% of your day with your your team. It's a high pressure situation. A veterinary profession is high stress. Um, if you're not, if you can't deal with stress, then don't engage mm. in the veterinary profession. A lot of people are like, oh, you must love animals. <laughs> and the reality is vets love their animals. Um, and they love what they do, but they're scientists. They're there to find solutions to problems. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have to be curious. They have to be, um, you know, scientifically minded. And that does mean that they probably have lacked out on the people skills because it's very rare that you see someone who can hold both spaces mm. well. Mm. And so we have our A-type personalities, our academics, you know, cerebrally motivated people versus the emotional side, um, which is the opposite. But actually, you need both yeah, to be do. able to work in this profession. You do. I think that's, I, th- I would say that's the case for most industries. Mm. Is we, there is a huge lack of training and mm. teaching. And where it co- whether it comes from the home or whether it comes from the institution, there's no focus on human interaction. So that's an EQ skill, right? Yeah, so we, yeah. we're, we're calling it the soft science. So where the university is teaching, you know, um, they, they're learning their, their um, BVSC, their Bachelors of Veterinary Science, I come in with the soft science, the people skills. Mm. And EQ is not... It's not high up there. You know, we've been talking about it for years, but it is still a space that needs to be developed more and more. Mm. And how do you, like even the conversations I've had is, what is the soft skills that a veterinary professional needs in order to survive their practice? Because this is what contributes to the high suicide rate. It's not their lack of ability in diagnosing and treating their patients. It's the fact that the people pressure is too much. And Mm. couple that with financial issues, and then we've got this 
crazy cycle because internally I actually don't know what to do with a difficult client. I don't know what to do when somebody is crying hysterically and they're probably the fifth person I've had to deal with whether it's a euthanasia or a difficult um, diagnosis. And then I have my team and I have my staff and I've got to deal with my nurse and I've got to deal with the receptionist and there's cross-cultural stuff and there's, you know, there's change in education level. There's so many pressures that go on, you know, for, for the professional in that professional space. So I think the more that we can equip, and you're right, Luke, where does this come from? Is this a home thing? Is this... Should our universities be skilling? I mean, where, where does it start? Where do we start educating yeah. people so that they can better articulate their emotions? Because yeah. if we don't know where our pressure is coming for, we don't, from, we don't know how to deal with it. And then we feel overwhelmed. And that's where the depressive cycle and anxiety starts. Mm. So it's about, we, I call it psychoeducation. We've got to be teaching individuals how to identify emotions and pressures so that they know how to deal with them mm. because we can control them. Um, there's just this feeling that I can't because it's unknown. Yeah. I've got so many thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, me too. And there's <laughs> Let's a go. whole few couple of rabbit holes we could yeah. go down here. But do you – I often think about – so I'm thinking on the go here, but I often think about this thing of EQ mm. and humans, human-to-human skill mm. where – we are taught to go after all these achievements and run your business and cure the patients. Mm. And even in the world of where our world's become so, what's the word, intertwined or, or merged with social media. Mm. And mm. there oh, is yeah. no, and that's a whole beast on its own because you have people who can, throw accusation and they can mm. there, there's actually no need to practice self-control yeah there because there's no there is no uh, accountability yeah. to the person that you're insulting or you challenging mm. without them being face to face yeah and yeah how much do you think the problems we have or maybe let's not say problems let's say lack of human to human skill how much of that do you think stems from our integration with, and our more? there's more and more of it, this integration mm. with social media mm. and the digital world where it's not f physical, mm. it's not tangible. You don't actually deal with humans on a human-to-human -human level. You yeah. have this intermediate screen or yeah. an app or text you know, yeah. between us. There's no connection. Yeah. How much do you think that has affected? Massive. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a few levels for me. One would be the distraction component of social media. Mm -hmm. So social media distracts us from engaging with the emotions that I'm feeling at this given time. With yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So now I don't have to deal with that discomfort that I'm feeling with you. You know, maybe maybe our engagement was a little, a little iffy, you know, mm -hmm. and... I don't want to now have to go, why was I feeling a little, why did Luke look a bit off to me? Or why did I feel a bit err uh, when I stepped away from that conversation? Let me just go to Instagram. I've done this myself. Like I've totally like distracted, opted out if oh, I don't want to deal cats. with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Pinterest, here we go. Exactly. Um, it's a problem in the venue profession because firstly, we need our doctors and particularly at the university, we need our students to be sitting and mulling over 
cases. So when they're sitting and waiting for the bloods to run or whip out, the whip out the phone, but then I'm not thinking about my case. I'm yeah. not actually pondering what are some alternatives, what are options. Then that works on the emotional level. Oh, I had that difficult engagement with that client. What was off there? What was maybe some of the body language I didn't pick up on? You know, what mm. was actually going on for the client in that room between her and her husband that actually I might need to ask about? Yeah. And then we'll have a better understanding of who kicked the dog. And that's why the dog is sore because mm -hmm. no one's going to actually come up and say they kicked the dog, right? So for me, the distraction of social me media is an issue. Then... I'm not learning how to deal with the difficult engagement with another human being. And it's like any muscle. The more you use it, the better mm -hmm. you get. Conflict management skills. Everyone is so afraid of conflict management skills because I don't want to upset you. I don't want you not to like me anymore. I don't want you to have animosity. So it's so interesting. The whole, you know, the whole thing of being liked, so the thumbs up has filtered so badly into our engagement with each other that now I won't have a difficult conversation or a sticky conversation with you because I'm scared you're going to unfriend me or unlike me and then mm. that's where my validation and my worth is. Mm. So now all of a sudden my, my validation and my worth is upon what's happening on social media, not in, hey, we had that difficult conversation but then I realized you were just tired and you've had a really rough weekend and so you might not have landed all sparky and happy as you usually do but you're not upset with me. Yeah. You know, um, and I can hold that space for you. Yeah. You know, how about I carry you while you're having a tough time? Yeah. But we don't know that because we won't get curious about what's going on with each other. Mm. And we're too scared to engage because it might cost you liking me. And mm. so it's one of the things that I do try and help with the veterinary profession is to make sure that their identity is coming from the right place. Okay. And it's not being sourced in what everybody out there who I don't even know what their faces actually look like. What do they say about me? So what is that horrible client putting on Facebook about me? Because that's the stuff that leads to suicide. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I don't know if owners actually realize that. That's when you go and you say horrible things about a practice or a person. Which and is you very slate, easy to do. So easy. On, like, exactly yeah. like you were saying, is there's no emotional content. I don't have to watch your facial expressions and see how this affects your family and you mm. for the rest of the day or the week mm. or the months. I can just dish it out there because there's no boundaries. Yeah. There's no accountability. And so I can be as nasty or not nasty as I want to be. And that's, that's, that's tough because now what we're saying is, all right, so you as an individual need to learn to put up higher walls. So now it creates isolation even more. So now yeah. I'm going to get a tougher skin. I'm not going to listen to what's going on out there. And I shut down. And we yeah. don't really want that. That's not the vulnerability no. that we're needing in business, no. you know, and leadership and other aspects that come from. So mm. I agree with you. I'm, you know, like with all things, there's that balance. And I think we're still learning what that healthy balance is with social media. Mm. Like where is it your friend and then when does it become your foe? Mm. I often think about, I think we're sitting in the generation where we're the first generation mm. to have been introduced to this. I mean, if you, think, if you think about it, we, we've, you know, born with zero to little cell phone exposure. Yeah. Then we have the, the introduction of cell phones. And within a 20-year, 25-year period, mm. by the time we're 12 or 10 or 15, our worlds have completely changed. And we're the first generation to really be at the forefront of or at the beginning stages of this, this technology mm. and this new way we do life. Mm. 
but we haven't been taught how to manage ourselves yeah. and manage relationships and manage um, our domain and our mm. terrain in this in this aspect and it's completely consumed us mm. but we there's still time and we still I'm not mm. a doomer and gloomer mm. but there is we we got to learn these skills and how to how to navigate this and teach our yeah. kids how yeah. to how to control themselves yeah. and how to so that I mean that's one of the things that I think that social media and exactly what you're talking about is it's the speed at which it operates mm. and um, I think the problem is is we're moving too fast and our brains are able to deal with information but it's it's on a process level and so we've we're, we're designed to work with the seasons if you look at how nature moves and how our seasons move and the things around us move there is a natural process with which we are able to deal with things but because yeah. of technology it's been sped up so quickly that not even our brains are able to keep up with it so what happens is there'll be a stimulation and then because I'm so used to things being so quick I don't even give my body like let's sleep on it or mm. I'll wait till I get back to you let me just process that thing so that I can create a response not a reaction and so what's happening is we have these reactive engagements with each other that land badly and this is where now all of a sudden we have breakdown in relationship or I don't like talking to him because he just says ugly things and actually maybe there's just the speed at what everything is going on around me because I'm so used to scrolling and I'm so used to being able to get a hold of so and so so fast which has its its advantages because I can have information so quickly. But when it comes to people dynamics, we do need to slow down. Mm. We need to allow our brains to process what's going on. And we have, our brains are so beautiful. I often talk about the gut feeling, which when I deal with academics is like, what? what? <laughs> Don't go there. If you can't formulate so it. I think I must be like, sometimes I think that, that's that crazy redhead again <laughs> going on about gut feeling. But the reality is your body is smart. You are picking up on information, nonverbal so clues, um, reactions, motions, movements, uh, similarities, those different things. And your body takes that information and it starts working with it. And very often what happens is when our brain can't verbalize something, uh, we will then term it as a gut feel because our brain hasn't mm. yet been able to put a linguistic component to it. But actually if I go, what's the gut feel here? You're, you're actually just taking scientific, logical scientific evidence, internalizing it. Your brain hasn't got vocabulary, so it's sitting there. But if you go with that, you'll realize that that was the right thing to go with. Yeah. How um, many times do we say, I just knew it in my mm, gut that I shouldn't have done that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you go back to research, you know, I love evidence-based information. Um, big, well, you know, I work in the veterinary profession, so we have to work with evidence-based medicine because this is the way to go. But human being engagement, there's a lot of evidence and science behind why we do what we do. And if we can understand people better, then we can create that connection. So one of the mm. biggest things for me with Human Co is to create connection between human beings because this is the thing that we're lacking. And connection so is good. about understanding myself better so self-awareness. And then when I am aware of how I land in a space, then I can get curious about how you are landing in the space. And then how do you and I work together? 
How do we go with our differences, our individuality, the things that we have been given that makes us unique and really important in this world? Because we need, like I always say to the students, we don't need all the vets to be the same. We need you to be different from each other because you're going into different communities and you're going to be finding solutions to things that your colleagues can't see because of your upbringing and your perspective and your background and your culture. So good. And so there's that integration. And then the second one is people behavior change. You know, we all come, again, from our background. Um, maybe I lived in East Africa for a period of time, and I lived with an Italian lady, and her, her dad came out from Italy, and they were busy chatting, and things got so heated, and it got so out of control. And internally, like my, you know, my Western culture setting was like, oh, this is terrible, I'm going to go and hide. <laughs> so I quietly slipped off outside, and I sat in the... A terrible heat because now all the aircon's inside, not outside. And I mean, we're sitting right on the equator in Dar es Salaam. And eventually I heard things simmer down and I slid, slid back inside. I went, Alex, what's happening with you and dad? Like, what's happening? You know, I'm so sorry. Is everything okay? And she's like, no, Des, we're just discussing the football score. And, then, you know, like, so my culture was so different yeah. to the Italian culture, which is yeah. very out there, very open and wild. Yeah. So now we go and take these different personalities and we pop them in one business and we're like, right, so make money. <laughs> yeah. You save lives. Yeah. And, and be kind. And be, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you don't know how to. No. <laughs> and so it's about teaching people to understand themselves better. But then also, how do we create a culture in our business that's our family culture? So you come from your family, I come from mine. We'll have guys that come from the local townships, We, you know, with maybe basic education, we have individuals who've maybe come from the top schools and they're highly educated, they're top of their classes. And now we stick us all together and we throw in some wild cards and, and now we've got to save lives. And so that's where things can go wrong. But actually, we can, we can have conversations. We can decide what we want to do to create our own practice culture, family culture, so that we know how to work with each other we can be and for me it's massively it's about respect how do we respect each other um, and doesn't matter what our differences are we are still working with the same objective and that's to get this patient home yeah. healthy and and do the things that we're passionate about and that we love doing that's and awesome. so it's about yeah it's about allowing that space to be safe for everybody to arrive at their best um, so I mean this this space really really interests me mm-hmm. I've, I've got such an, a huge appreciation for it and for creating culture and building communities because yeah. I mean essentially in a in a practice you are building a community you are yeah, yeah. and I think I have by no means have this waxed but I really and what I'm picking up what you're saying also is that in order for us to be ourselves to understand someone else mm. be empathetic mm. we've got to look after ourselves mm. and we've got to learn to be present mm. and understand ourselves mm. and um, maybe do you have a some thoughts on how we can even as business owners learn to be present with ourselves and learn to just understand ourselves better mm. so that we can empathize with other people so we can empathize with with the customer that's being a complete idiot mm. but they're only being an idiot because they've got their own story and we don't yes. understand that but we don't cross the bridge to try and understand that yeah even if you don't need to cross the bridge let's just understand 
I think self-awareness breeds awareness of other people's situations too. So maybe could you speak to that a little bit? So I think for me, this starts with um, you can't be curious about yourself and other people if you are judging, if you're judgmental. And very often what happens is we become judgy of other people and the very thing that we feel guilt and shame for. Okay. And so sometimes we need to like take a step back. And for me, the guilt and shame is probably one of our greatest motivators. I feel guilty for not doing this. I feel ashamed because of that. But it's silent. Mm. So you've actually got to sit back and go, where's this numbing coming from or this anger coming from or the snappiness that I have with my kids or the grumpiness that I have with my colleagues? Where's that coming from? And then if we go back, go back, okay, then we actually go, what are you feeling ashamed of? What are you feeling guilty of? Um, Because... If you find yourself being judgmental of the client in front of you or the staff around you, it's usually the thing that you're feeling shamed for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to start talking to your, you know, we have this gremlin, this little internal gremlin that actually comes from our childhood. <laughs> so now, mm-hmm. now we're going to be unpacking stuff, right? But you don't have to go too far in your dark past. You just got to go, all right, what's happening here? I'm looking at Mrs. So-and-so and I'm like so judging her right now. And what's going on for me there. So it is about being present with yourself actually. And even I think so much of so many of us, and particularly in business, is there's this like push. And you wake up and the kids are awake and it's crazy. And then the dog needs to be fed, the you know, the dishwasher needs to unpack the maybe you need to go and fetch the nanny or you've got to drop the kids off at school. And so all of a sudden we start playing these roles. And and then on top of that we need to do a job to make money to put food on the table and the and we just go, go, go. And so it's hard to take a step back in, in a moment and to check in with myself. Mm, and generally, we start being unkind with other people when we unkind with ourselves. And so one of the tips that could be helpful is actually starting every day. I, I like to take about five minutes and just whether you have a devotional or you have a moment of just peace and quiet, but it's where you, you'll actually, so there's a few things you can do. One is you can close your eyes and you can listen. So you try and listen for different layers of noise. So whether it's um, the birds, if there's crickets, is it wind, is it cars? So you try and see what you're hearing because that allows you to be present in the moment. Yes. Then the other one is seeing. So if you can look far, um, so I want to look what's here, the color of the flowers, the trees are moving, what's happening further down the line. Like if I look out my window and I look far down, what's happening there? And then the other one is the physical sensation. So I'll be sitting on the, on the chair or wherever you are on the bed or whatever, and then you want to feel the floor under your feet and you want to feel the back of the chair on, you know, on your legs and mm-hmm. the sensation. So going from the tips of your toes all the way to the top of your head and your fingers and taking that present moment in it. And you can practice that. So they, it's called mindfulness, but it's not the Eastern mysticism of like transcending into whole new levels. And um, it's just being aware of what's happening here. And then for me, one of the things I realized that I stopped doing was that I was speaking past people. Mm-hmm. I was so busy. I had so much on my mind. I have so many th- problems I need to solve and things that are emails I need to get to and phone calls I need to make that people were talking to me and I was... I couldn't even remember conversations I was having with them because I wasn't engaging with them. Yeah. So I try and eyeball people. <laughs> uh, and that takes a, also a level of vulnerability to look it you does. in the eyes. It does. It means that you could see, 
you know, you could see it's so much easier not to look you in the eye and to look over your shoulder and talk to you, but I'm actually looking at the conversation people are having behind you. And, um, and so when we can hold a space for each other, that's where I get most excited mm. is when I have those engagements with people and I'm like, wow, we were totally in that moment. Yeah. We shared something. There was a human connection. There was a human connection. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. where you walk away feeling fulfilled. That's yeah. where you're, you start you start feeling like it doesn't yeah. matter what happened in the day. Did I tick all those boxes? No way. But wow, did I experience my day. It didn't just go straight past yeah, me. Yeah, completely. Because we are, we spend our lives looking for those connection points. We do. And we don't have those connection points because we're connecting. And I'm not saying technology is bad at all. Don't hear what yeah, I'm not uh, saying. Yeah. What I'm saying is that we don't have real connection yeah. on our devices. And we spend the majority of our day on our devices, uh, disassociating with ourselves and with what's going on around us. We're on email. We're on mm. Zoom calls. Mm. We're on all these things mm. in a let's say non-tangible world and we spend very little time here and when we are here we're thinking about all the other things and you know Luke that human connection that is the biggest way to combat depression and anxiety yeah number one reason a way to that is if you yeah all the other things are fantastic I mean they work they have a place but it's usually if you want to if you're starting to feel depressed and and the 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 so the drain pipe of depression starts sitting and anxiety starts happening. If we have a look, we've probably isolated ourselves yeah, from completely, connection, completely. Um, and that's where you know, why community is so important. And I love what you're saying about even the business community, because I think that's important too. We need to be integrating with. Like for me, there are many people who do what I do in the profession. I'm the only one who has the particular niche that I'm at in. But I have colleagues where we've had discussions and we're like, wow, the veterinary profession has been such a doggy dog, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> profession. Oh, we're bringing the dad jokes. Yeah, so there we go. <laughs> Got to spice it up. But we've, you know, the, the, historically that's how it's been because I'm so scared of my client going to my competitor down the road yeah. that I start giving discounts. I start doing things that actually is bad for my business model. It doesn't make money. Yeah. It hurts my bottom line. I, I resent doing it. So it then builds bad relationship or I allow the client to speak to me in an ugly way or I allow them to dictate what goes on even though professionally I know that's not correct and um, and so when we you know we have conversations about you know what you do after hours we'll do this we've got each other's backs or if you need to take leave we'll cover you but I promise we'll send you know your clients back to you we're not going to steal them and all of a sudden again we operate on respect yeah and, and healthy yeah. boundaries, checking in with each other. And so I, for me, I feel like we need to start operating what we call in psychology as an adult space. This is where we don't manipulate each other to get what we want. When I have a need, oh I can gosh, ask for yeah. it. And and if you can't deliver or you can't help me, you go, thanks, Des, I'd love to, but I'm, in, I'm emotionally unable to or I don't have time to. Is there anybody else? And so... And, you know, saying to our clients, guys, we don't talk to, you know, we don't talk to each other like that. Please, no swearing and shouting in this practice. We want to help you. We want to do bits what, do what's best for your pets. But we need, we need to be treating each other nicely. Yeah. And there's this fear that we can't be putting our boundaries about what behavior is okay because I'm scared I'm going to lose the business. But if we all do it, okay. then we've trained people to behave nicely. Yeah. And we do have this 
we do have this kind of like internal industry joke about like why do veterinary practices always attract the crazies? <laughs> and I'm sure every profession feels like that. But <laughs> it's just like people behave so badly when they bring their pets into the vets. And yeah. it's like, when did that become okay? Yeah, when, who, who allows that? Yeah, like yeah. who gave permission for this to happen? Mm. But you know what? It's when we don't say anything, we've given permission for it to happen. Yeah. And so why are we not having these adult conversations with people and going, I'd love to help you, but that behavior is just not okay here. Yeah, um, completely. You know, because in our profession, that leads to suicide. Mm. You have enough people speaking badly, speaking down, criticizing, manipulating. And the veterinary profession are the worst on themselves. They are the hardest on themselves. They are. You have no idea how they are going home dreaming about your, your pet and have they made the right diagnosis? Did they use the right drug? You know, they are pedantic about those animals in their practice. Yeah. And so actually they need a bit of kindness. And I mm-hmm. think it's probably something we should be doing all around us is actually just being kind to each other. Everyone is working the hardest that they can to do the best that they can. And it's one of the approaches that we talk about is is offering the best possible intent on each other. So not thinking the worst. When mm. I see you land in a space, I'm going to think the best that you are bringing your best to the space, not you bringing your worst. Yeah. Uh, and then going and engaging from there. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. We could keep talking about We could. That. Oh, man. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, what are some really exciting projects that you are working on or mm. working towards at the moment? Oh, yes. That <laughs> you are allowed to and can or feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. I'm sure you, uh, well, I, I kind of know that you have some stuff yeah. in the background. Yeah. But what are, what are you working towards right now? So we are looking at developing a online training for the doctors and the nurses so that they can upskill in their people development skills, which is something I've done historically for 12, 13 years, but now it will be available on demand so they can click on it and download it and watch it at their own whenever they have a free moment. The other one is um, working at looking at business culture within the veterinary profession. So looking at making the change. Um, The veterinary profession has a lot of women in it. So we have majority of our vets are actually female. And so looking at how to develop a business culture that operates and lends itself to working mums, as well as a culture that's not toxic. Um, because we do see a lot of toxic behavior coming through in the veterinary profession. So I've been working with a group to, it's actually so fun because never have I worked with such amazing people trying things that have never been done before in this profession. And we're giving ourselves permission to get messy and make mistakes and learn as we go along. So we're looking at creating autonomy within the practices. So it creates a good business model for veterinary practices so that vets want to stay in South Africa. They want to be in that work environment that they're not then suffering from compassion fatigue, burnout, stress, anxiety, and again, wanting to eliminate the suicide rates. And then the other one that is kind of on the background is a passion of mine, which is mental first aid health. And so being able to provide people with the skills and the tools to support each other in practice. Mm. So if you are having a tough time and it is getting a bit heavy and stuff isn't going so easy for you, how do I support you in a way that I walk alongside you that maybe you don't need to then go 
and see a psychiatrist or psychologist just yet. We might actually, because mm. we have the skills that we need. We, we all have yeah. coping mechanisms. And that's a point of community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now it's training community. <laughs> so like, awesome. how do you do that for each other? Yeah. Um, so that's sort of still coming forward. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the webinars online and, um, and then working in the practices and then coaching. So I do coaching. So it's about holding that preventative self-care space for professionals so that they're able to look after themselves better so they don't get to that burnout phase. And it's catching them before it's time to maybe whether it's medication or hospitalization or they need to go off for three weeks. How do we make sure that we can actually enjoy our every day in a mm. way that's significant and fulfilling? And I love my patients. They don't just become a number um, and, and do it in a way that's healthy. That's awesome. Yeah. So exciting. I love, I love seeing this type of thing. I think I feel workplaces need to have a far more holistic approach mm and should be an employee first environment where we look mm. after our employees first yeah. because if we look after ourselves yeah. and our employees and our business culture we'll look yeah. after our it really is. customers and yeah. our clients well look after people and the money will follow yeah yeah and i think yeah I, I, that thought disappeared very quickly <laughs> but um that's cool so des thank you thank we you. can keep going yes we can <laughs> I've got a lot of questions and lots of things I'd love to chat about, but I'm yeah. aware of our time and our listeners' time. So where can people find you? And yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we can go on to uh, www.humanco.solutions. That's our website. We also provide um, – so I do the uh, transformative – so transformation side, which is the people development and the soft skills. And then a colleague of mine does the um, transactional side, which is the HR and payroll and CCMA okay. and, and sort of the contractual side of people. So the, the legal side. Um, and we often find the two interplay so well. So we've mm. partnered to to be able to have a holistic offering for our practices and clients. We, I mean, we do have clients outside of the veterinary profession people who hold the same space. So we provide resource, resources for them as well. Um, yeah, and just like Luke, thank you for what you've been doing for businesses in Zurban. I think this is an amazing initiative and thanks to our listeners for giving up their time to listen to this. Yes, always <laughs> thankful for that. Yeah. Their time is very valuable. Yeah, well, thank you, Des. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you for the chats. Yeah, good. And I cannot wait to see how you move into the future and yeah. the success that you attain yeah, and achieve let's see where this journey goes I'm yeah. excited for it it's still in its infancy and so I think yeah. there's a lot lot more growth I'm excited about what's happening in South Africa I'm excited about what we can all do collectively and the changes that it will bring are going to be good ones and that's so yeah. what, are, what are the top three things you love about South Africa right me now? Yeah. I love our people so mm -hmm. I've travelled quite a bit and um, I just love the friendliness of South Africans like you'll walk on a road and people greet each other you don't see that overseas um, I think always food. <laughs> food is good. Food brings community, right? So if yeah. you want to get people together, feed them. And I love our food. I love that we eat, you know, bras and poikies and, mm. you know, all those things that are good bring bring community together. And then we have one of the most beautiful countries. Okay. Um, even other parts of Africa that are untouched, we've been to like Ethiopia, like magnificent, but like coming back, like KZN, we've got the bush, the berg, 
and the beach. And, the beach. and mm. there are not many spots that have all three of those. In one hour, in any direction. Exactly. Yeah. And you can get out. So for me, to talk about mental health, it's so much easier in KZN because it's quick for you to go out and be in the green and be in nature and go for a walk with yeah. your dogs and go out with the family. So uh, for me, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be making my investment into the future. That's yeah. awesome. I've got such hope for Durban. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I, th- I think it's it's the underdog it's underrated, under, understated, under, mm. and misunderstood. Yeah. And I can't wait to see yeah. how we go forward. Do you know what fascinates me about people from KZN and particularly Durban? If you have a look at some of our industry leaders, like we've got key people who are making big differences in, in the rest of the world, and they all yeah. come from Durban. Yeah. They, That's very interesting. It is like when I, I went through and I actually thought about people I know that have made significant difference to industry, to in their own profession, whether it was creatively, you know, academically, um, sports-wise, business-wise, like really forerunners. I'm like, there must be something in the water and it's not a cola. <laughs> 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 There's something going on in, in KZN because we really know how to churn out those like yeah. – forerunners, thinkers, you know, we've just, I don't know if it's an attitude, if it's the climate, what it is, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm like, awesome. this is where I want to raise my kids. Yeah, <laughs> Got <definitely>. opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Dears, thank you. Thank you, Luke. And yeah. we'll see you around. Yeah, I hope so. Cool. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>